Do you seek revenge or forgiveness? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author, pastor, teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of Genesis 50, Pastor Charles will show us that faith in God is authenticated by forgiveness of others. In today's outline, we'll learn first, don't play God. Second, to view life through the lens of divine appointment. And finally, to treat those you have forgiven as if they have truly been forgiven. Today's message, Getting Even God's Way. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Genesis chapter 50 begins with the death and burial of Jacob, who was the father of Joseph and his 11 brothers. Genesis chapter 49, Jacob blessed his sons from his deathbed. After his death, Joseph organized a proper burial and mourning period for his father. Then Joseph returned to Egypt to resume his official duties as, for lack of a better term, vice pharaoh of Egypt. The end of Genesis chapter 50 fast forwards to the death and burial of Joseph himself. In between the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph, our text records one final scene from Joseph's life. It begins in verse 15 with the guilt-induced fear of Joseph's brothers. They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. The backstory begins in Genesis chapter 37. Young Joseph was favored by his father Jacob because he was the son of his old age. Jacob demonstrated his favor for Joseph by giving him a beautiful, expensive, and multicolored coat. This coat made Joseph's brothers hate him. Moreover, Joseph was favored by God. God revealed to Joseph in his dreams that there would come a time when he would be promoted to a place of great authority and all of his brothers would bow down before him. Of course, this made Joseph's brothers hate him all the more. One day, Jacob sent Joseph to go check on his brothers. And when he arrived, the brothers threw Joseph into an empty well plotting to kill him. They decided instead to sell him to a caravan headed to Egypt and thus 
Joseph was taken into Egypt to be a slave, but God was with him. His master's wife falsely accused him of rape and had Joseph thrown into prison, but God was with him. In prison, one of the Pharaoh's personal assistants was helped by Joseph and promised upon his release to help Joseph in return. And once he was paroled, he quickly forgot about Joseph. But God was with Joseph. The Pharaoh of Egypt had a mysterious dream. God used Joseph to interpret that dream. A famine was coming. The Pharaoh placed Joseph in charge of all of the resources of Egypt. In the providence of God, Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt looking for food, which resulted in a family reunion. In our text, when Jacob dies, the Bible tells us that Joseph's family had moved to Egypt with him and at that point had lived with him for 17 years. But upon the death of Jacob, Joseph's brothers felt that Joseph would use this time as an opportunity to pay them back for what they had done to him. So they sent a message to Joseph. They claimed that the dying wish of their father Jacob was that Joseph would forgive them for the wrong they had done. It's no record that Joseph gave this command. It may just be that the brothers invoked their dead father's name to gain sympathy and avert the wrath of Joseph. The end of verse 17 says, Joseph wept as he heard this. Then verse 18 tells us that the brothers themselves showed up and they all bowed down before Joseph and said to him, we are your servants. Ironically, verse 18 records the fulfillment of the dream Joseph had for which these brothers hated him in the first place. But they never recognized the significance of the moment. They were too overwhelmed by unresolved guilt. The brothers of Joseph warn us about the binding effects of unresolved guilt. Joseph had forgiven them a long time ago. But their lingering guilt made them afraid. Friends, guilt can have the same binding effect on us. Listen, if you do not deal with your guilt, your guilt will deal with you. But I don't want to talk today about the guilt of the offenders. I want to talk about the forgiveness of the offended. 
verse 8, verses 15 through 18, records the guilt-induced fear of Joseph's brothers. But verses 19 through 21 record the free and full forgiveness Joseph extended to his unworthy brothers. Joseph forgave his brothers fully and freely because of his confidence, his unwavering confidence in the goodness, wisdom, and power of God. That's the point of the story. Faith in God is authenticated by forgiveness of others. Let me say that again. Faith in God is authenticated by forgiveness of others. In the final analysis, forgiveness is not about you or the one who has wronged you. It is about God. If you trust God, you will forgive others. F.W. Robinson wrote, The only revenge which is essentially Christian is that of retaliation by forgiveness. Real Christians retaliate by forgiving. So what does it mean to get even God's way? Three lessons in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. Are you interested, church? Lesson number one. To get even God's way, don't play God. Verse 19 records Joseph's initial response to his brother's plea for mercy. There is an exhortation, do not fear. Then there is an explanation via a question. Am I in the place of God? Do not be afraid of me. Am I in the place of God? Friends, God is good, just, holy, righteous, and sovereign. Let me say that in simpler terms. God is God. Because God is God, God has the right to repay evildoers. You do not. Neither do I. Joseph recognized this, and this is what enabled Joseph to forgive his brothers. 
He recognized that he was not in the place of God. He was able to forgive the wrong that his brothers did simply because he acknowledged that God is God and he was not. Max Licato wrote a beatitude. Blessed is the man who recognizes there is only one God and stops applying for the position. To get even God's way, you must accept this fundamental fact. God is God and you are not. You must not play God in other people's lives. One occasion, a mother came to President Abraham Lincoln on the behalf of her son, who was a soldier sentenced for treason and condemned to be hanged. She pleaded for mercy. Lincoln consented. But in conclusion, he said to the mother, I wish there was a way to teach him a lesson. I wish, Lincoln said, there was a way to give him a little bit of hanging. I know we in church, but can we be honest for just a moment? We feel that way when people have wronged us. We know it's not right to take revenge, but we wish, you know, we could hang them a little bit just so they'll know not to mess with us in the future. But we must not play God in other people's lives. R. Kent Hughes wrote, how much of our relational troubles come from our attempting to be God in other people's lives. Oh, if we were just God for a day, we would set many evils right. In our bad moments, we imagine that we know what God ought to do with others. And at our very worst moments, we take correction into our own hands because apparently God is not wise enough to do so. We must remember that God is God, and we are not. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21 says it this way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know what that means? It means the worst thing you can do to an enemy is leave them in the hands of God. Romans 12, verse 21 
says, so do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't play God. Secondly, to get even God's way, view life through the lens of divine providence. View life through the lens of divine providence. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 is one of the great statements of faith in the Bible. It is all the greater when you consider that this statement of faith is the grounds for forgiveness. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because he viewed his life through the lens of God's good and wise and unfailing providence. What does it mean to live that way? Joseph shows us two ways to look at life through the lens of God's good providence. The first may surprise you. First, you must come to grips with the reality of evil. When you have an interpersonal conflict, it's important to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. But that doesn't mean you should be naive or foolish or undiscerning. While you give the benefit of the doubt, you got to learn to come to grips with the reality of evil. Be honest about the reality of evil. Face down the reality of evil. That's what Joseph does in the text. In verse 19, Joseph did not play God. In verse 20, Joseph did not play dumb either. sitting on his throne, looking down at his wicked brothers, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me. There are times when you can have the best of intentions and still make a mistake and inadvertently hurt someone you love. Listen to Joseph. I can't even give you credit for that, Joseph says. He says, not only were your actions evil, your intentions were evil. It's not that you intended well and did wrong. You meant evil against me. You never meant me any good from the beginning. Notice that Joseph here does not deny or deflect or diminish the reality of evil. He directly confronts his brothers with their evil intentions. There are other people that wronged Joseph, but may I suggest they didn't really mean it. You know, for instance, 
Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife wronged Joseph. When Joseph resisted her sexual advances, she accused him of rape and had him thrown into prison. That was wrong. But she didn't really mean it. She was just angry because Joseph rejected her. As the saying goes, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. Likewise, Pharaoh's cupbearer wronged Joseph, but he didn't really mean it. When Joseph helped him, he promised that when I get out of prison, I'm going to remember what you did for me. But when he got out, he forgot the man that helped him. That was wrong, but, but he didn't mean it. He just made the common mistake we are prone to make. We, we are prone to forget people that we should remember. But it was different with Joseph's brothers. They hated him without a cause. They plotted evil against him. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 19 and 20, when they saw Joseph coming, the boys said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Let's throw him into a pit and kill him and then tell daddy that a wild animal attacked him and killed him. They meant evil against Joseph, yet Joseph forgave them. And in so doing, it shows us that you don't have to deny or diminish or deflect evil in order to get even God's way. You don't have to pretend that it didn't happen. You don't have to pretend that it did not break your heart. You do not have to pretend that you did not suffer loss because of it. To forgive, don't pretend that evil is not evil. Oh, don't worry, it's nothing. That's not the truth. It's something. Suppressing painful experiences is not a legitimate solution. You may bury it in the sand and think you have gone on, but over time, what you buried in the sand starts coming up again. And all it takes is a memory or a button pushed or memory triggered. And what you thought was buried makes its way to the surface all over again, sometimes years or decades later. And what I'm saying to you, church, is that rather than waiting for the sands of time to cause painful experiences to re-emerge, today you should intentionally dig it up. Put it in your hands. Acknowledge it. Recognize it. 
come to grips with it. And then let it go. You're going to get 45 to 50 minutes from me today. But it really is just for three words. Let it go. It was wrong, but you got to let it go. It hurt, but you have to let it go. You did not deserve what happened, but you've got to let it go. You may still be suffering the consequences of evil that you did not deserve. But you got to let it go. When you have been hurt or wronged or betrayed or mistreated, you got two options. You can get even your way. But if you try to get even your way, it will leave you in the bondage of bitterness. You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is drinking poison and waiting on your enemy to die. The only way to get even God's way is to forgive. You got to let it go. But HB, you say, how can I just let it go? You let it go when you trust the overruling providence of God. I keep throwing out this word providence, and some of you are saying, what in the world is that? But I want to find it. Let me just read the Bible to you and see if you can figure it out. Look at verse 20 again. As for you, you meant evil against me, Hold on to your seat for the next two words. But God. You hurt me. But God. You tried to bring me down. But God. You didn't mean me any good. But God. You meant evil, but what you meant was not the last word. Lord, help me today. But you did what you said, what you didn't do, what you didn't say is not the last word. But God, this is the overruling providence of God. This is how we got saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, but God. 
being rich in mercy because of his great love toward us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And what we find here is that the sovereign grace of God that saves us is also able to reach in to the painful circumstances of life and transform evil into good. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Oh, I know why you ain't shouting. Because you, 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 you wondering What did God mean for good? You don't get that part. What did God mean for good? Listen to me. What God meant for good is the very same things Joseph's brothers meant for evil. It's not two different set of circumstances. It's the same set of circumstances. Throwing them into the pit. Selling them into slavery. Potiphar's wife lying on him. Going to jail. The cupbearer forgetting them. The same things the brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. You still don't get it. Let me try it another way. Consider it, consider it, consider it a a football analogy. It, It is not that Joseph's 11 brothers lined up and ran a play and threw evil into his life. But just in the nick of time, God ran down the field. Wait, wait, wait. And intercepted it and ran it back for good. That's not what happened. Listen to what Joseph is saying. He's saying, before the play ever started, you was in a huddle, but God was in a huddle. You were making plans, God was making plans. You were up to something, but God was up to something. You had an agenda, but God had an agenda. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And Joseph is saying, the reason why I'm still here is because God's meant was bigger than your meant. Hey! Hey!
Look at your Bible. Look at your Bible. Go left in your Bible. In Genesis chapter 45. Go left to Genesis 45 verse 5. And now. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Look at verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. You missed it. You sent me here as a slave to Potiphar. But once you sent me here as a slave to Potiphar, God raised me up to be a father to Pharaoh. And I'm Lord of all this house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. I'm trying to tell you to let it go. But, but the only way you can let it go is if you trust that God has the last word, not people. The ultimate demonstration of the overruling providence of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. You want proof that God can take evil and turn it out into good? I watch the news just like you do. I get troubled by what I see just like you do. And I get tempted to get up here and say what I think. And then I remember the cross. Then I remember the cross. Forget the headlines. I remember the cross. The cross was man at his worst, but God at his best. At Calvary, we've already seen the worst man can do. But when man did the most evil thing he could do by killing the Son of God, God took that great evil and provided forgiveness for me and for you. Can I show you one more thing in verse 20? You might not like this part. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To, what is good here? Lesson to its explanation. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are 
today. You intended evil against me. God took your evil act and turned it into good so that many people may be kept alive. God used your evil to give me a means of saving my family and saving Egypt and saving the nations that came to Egypt for help. I don't think you got it. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. What God does for you is never about you. And that's why some of you find it difficult to let things go. Because you got a plan for your life, you got an agenda, you got the way you think that things ought to go. And you haven't recognized the fact that what God is up to it's not about you. They got a song, what God has for me is for me. Not really. What God has for me is for somebody else. His sovereign power is tied to his saving purpose. God does not bring you through, out, and over merely to bless you. He brings you through, out, and over to make you a blessing to somebody else. And you'll never be able to let it go if all you can think about is you and your plans and your dreams. The, the smallest package in the world is a man wrapped up in himself. You can only let it go when you trust that even if it ain't the way I would have mapped it out, God's got a plan. And God is able to make all things work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. I got one more verse. Don't play God. View life through the lens of divine providence. Finally, to get even God's way, treat those you have forgiven as if they are truly forgiven. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Jesus tells of a king who settles accounts with his servants, finds a servant who owes him 10,000 denarii. It's an incalculable amount of money. He plans to throw the man in jail, sell his family into slavery, and auction his possessions. But the man cries out for mercy, and the king completely forgives the debt. But leaving the king's palace, the servant runs into a fellow servant who owes him a few dollars. 
he demands payment, and when the man can't pay him, he tries to choke the money out of him. Onlookers go back and tell the king, and the king calls this servant back in and has him thrown into prison until he could pay the full original debt. It's a parable of judgment. The worst part of the parable is Matthew 18, verse 35. Jesus concludes by saying, and so will my heavenly Father do to every one of you who does not forgive his brother from the heart. The grace you receive is tied to the grace you extend. If you want God to let you off the hook, you have to let other people off the hook. You must forgive from the heart. But how does that work? First Samuel 16 verse 7 says, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. If you must forgive from the heart where only God sees, how can I know if I've truly forgiven? How can others know if I have truly forgiven? It's only one answer. You will treat the one you have forgiven as if he or she is truly forgiven. It's verse 21. In verse 19, Joseph says, do not fear, do not be afraid, and now he says it again. So do not fear. Joseph wanted to make it clear that his brothers had no reason to fear his retaliation. And when you've forgiven, truly, the one whom you the one who offended you should have no reason to be afraid of you. They should not have to fear how you will respond. They should not have to fear what you will say to them or about them. They will not fear what you're going to do to them. Am I suggesting that you need to become best friends with the person who's hurt you? No. But the person who has hurt you when you forgive should not have to live in fear that you will retaliate by taking matters into your own hands. Well, how do I, HB, how do I get me some, you know, some get back? Look at verse 21. You ain't going to like it. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. So you tried to cut off my future. Let me tell you how I'm going to get back. As long as you alive, whatever you need, I got you. Y'all not in here with me. And after you die, whatever your children need, I got them too. 
Ah, no, HB. That, that couldn't be God's will. Yes, it is. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. In your Bible, those verses may have red letters where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you will be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the good and the evil and lets the rain fall on the just and the un... Aren't you glad when God let the sun rise today, he didn't just let it rise on people who deserve it? Verse 21 ends by saying, thus he comforted them. What does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means he got off his throne, walked down the platform, approached his brothers, and hugged them, and embraced them, and kissed them. And then the verse ends by saying he spoke kindly to them. Literally, he spoke to their hearts in both word and action. He wanted to give the brothers assurance that they had truly been forgiven. Well, I see how you're looking at me. And I can read your mind. You're thinking, this is a great story, but, but that's Joseph. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. I can't do that. If you will, let me, let me close by playing dirty a little bit here. Let's forget Joseph for just a moment. Because the story of Joseph is simply an illustration of how God has treated us for the sake of Jesus. Joseph is a type of Christ. His story illustrates the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was despised because he was favored by the Father. Jesus was hated without cause. Jesus is regularly, since last we've met here, we have thrown him in the pit to do our own thing. Jesus was the victim of the most evil act in history. The religious conspiracy of the Jews conspired with the political shenanigans of the Romans to commit the greatest act of evil 
in human history. Jesus, the spotless son of God, died between guilty criminals. And yet, as they mocked him, spit on him, and gambled for his clothes, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus has comforted our fears. Jesus has given us his word to assure us that he has forgiven us. Jesus has treated us with kindness even though we don't deserve it. Their sin put Joseph in a pit. Our sin put Jesus on a cross. Because of the cross, God has given us another chance. Because of the cross, God has given us a fresh start. Because of the cross, God has given us a new beginning. Because of the cross, God has set us free. Because of the cross, God has not treated us the way our sins deserve. And in the name of the sinless one who took our pay, place to pay for our sins, I plead with you today to let it go. You finish, God be praised. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight and God bless.